Hello, I'm Haya, and thank you for welcoming us into your ears. You've tuned in to Human Awareness, a podcast about what it means to be human and the various ways that that shows up for people. And hi, I'm Kate, and I'm so glad to have you here with us. Haya and I are representing the Human Awareness Institute, or HI for short, as we explore important themes related to love, intimacy, and sexuality. Obviously, our podcast can't replace our workshops, but we hope that in these interviews, you're able to catch a glimpse of who we are and what we do. Shall we get started with the interview? Yes. Come settle in with me and I'll hit play. Hello and welcome back to Human Awareness, the podcast from the Human Awareness Institute. Uh, I am joined here with my delightful co-host, Kate, and no guest this time. No guest. It's just the two of us this time. You know what? Don't tell any of your guests, but I really like it when we do this. <laughs> I was just about to say the same thing. <laughs> I was going to say I love our guests to death, and yet it's really fun when, it gets to, when we get to have the time all to ourselves. I know. It's good to be greedy sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's our final episode of season three. Can you believe it? You know, I really can't. It's... it's uh... I just keep sitting with how incredibly lifey life is. <laughs> Say more, Haya. Well, yeah, I think I do, but that's a pretty awesome statement. What do you mean? Right. It's just like I um, 2020 was intense and 2021 has not been any less intense. But where 2020 was so intensely painful and full of big shifts and changes in my life 2021 has been that too but in but with like balanced out with equally powerful positive things Mm. and i'm just sitting here in gratitude of what it is like to be a human being like in this exact moment as we are recording this at the beginning of december and i can't believe it isn't, you know, March 2020, but it's December 2021. Where the mm-hmm. hell did time go? And yeah, it just feels like I'm so vibrantly alive. I just found a new artist that I'm really enjoying who has a song called Weddings and Funerals. Mm-hmm. And the whole premise of the song, the whole kind of like what he gets to, what he alludes to is that life is just a series of commitments and joining with oneself and others and then deaths over and over and over again. And I thought that's just so beautiful. This like life is a series of weddings and funerals. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, we had a lot, a lot of losses over the last two years, but also a lot of beginnings and a lot of um, recommitting to what's important to us as people. I think I've seen that across a number of my friends and family members and certainly within the high community. Um, so yeah, I feel, I feel you. It's very lifey. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like the, the thing I have learned over the last year more than anything else is just be present with it. Like mm-hmm. really leaning into that, you know, this too shall pass type idea. Uh, no mm-hmm. matter how shitty things get, you know, it passes. And no matter how amazing things get, that passes too. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Easier said than done, but I, I completely agree. Just like allowing whatever is really so mm-hmm. to be, to be here. And, um, I'm curious what's, what's really so for you today in this moment? What, what do you notice is alive in you? Uh, I have some friends who are going through some really deep 
challenging shit. And in a way, I have some gratitude for the absolute shitstorm of a year I've had because I'm mm. able to show up for them in deep empathy. Mm. You know, I get it. I get where they are. I get where they're coming from. And mm. when I say, you know what? I've been in similar situations. I know what that feels like. I can say that with 100% truth. And that's mm -hmm. sometimes I think that's all people need to hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see you. I get you. I'm with you. And I think it, as the supporter, it really is a different experience when we do have a sense of what somebody's going through. It, we do have greater access to that empathy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So you're sitting in a place of, um, it feels to me just being your friend, like you're, you're actually in a, in a space in your life right now where things are in alignment and you're feeling, um, in a, in a good space in your own life, but you're in a place of support in this moment with a friend who's, who's not quite there. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of my friends are really struggling with stuff at the moment and where I'm landing with that is right now. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I am so deeply in love and mm. like both with life and the universe and with two very specific people who I'm in deep relationship with um, that I feel like that resources me. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that gives me the space to pay it forward. You know, I'm able to be there for my friends in ways that I wasn't like three or four months ago. Mm. And that feels beautiful too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we're resourced and filled up and our love cup is full, we have way more to give, right? Um, totally. I feel like that's another obvious one that's not so easy to accomplish all the time, staying within the balance of having our love cups be full. I love hearing that, Haya. I'm so glad you're in love. What a, It's such a good feeling to be in love. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's gotten so ridiculous, Kate, that I have people in my life who are choosing to spend more time with me just because they want to bask in that glow. And they tell me, and I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's a wonderful <laughs> thing to hear, you know? They're basking in the love glow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. Like I, I'm friends with a, with, a, with a relatively famous writer who obviously, you know, her, part of her job, she writes fiction, part of her job is to be out there and observe humans. And so when I'm in a place of like mm -hmm. just ridiculous, like childlike, first time you're in love type love, <laughs> you know, she's like, oh, well, let's hang out. I want to hear everything about it. Tell me every juicy detail. <laughs> and just being mm -hmm. given permission to gush about somebody. Mm. Uh, that's, I mean, there's nothing else I'd rather do in the world, right? Because <laughs> great. But that's fun. And it's, and it's interesting. I haven't you know, I have fallen in love a couple of times in recent years, but it's always been a little bit on the DL, mm -hmm. right? Because I was going through a divorce and I didn't want to be insensitive. You know, I, st I still feel deep, um, deep loyalty and kindness towards, you know, my ex-wife. And mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, occult my light as they say but now i'm able to just be fully brightly in love and shine that into the world and that's such a different experience yeah it is it's being able to be it's not authenticity right it's if we're able to be authentic in what's 
real for us and not feel like we have to kind of curb it or pretend it's not happening or give a watered down version of our joy. You know, as I'm listening to you, I'm just thinking about that, like that exuberant joy and where that comes from. And and I think um, what what's striking me is interesting in this moment is how often I think we feel a certain level of like, uh, like we, we do have to kind of curb it or shut it down or have it be filtered in some way. Um, yeah. and I'm just thinking about that, like how often we kind of feel like, Oh, you know, pat it down. Don't be too happy. Don't laugh too loud. Don't, you know, blah, 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 for whatever reason. And it's shame at the root of that, right? Like don't be noticed too far and above the others. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love the permission you're giving and then that others are giving you to, like fully express that joy. Cause I think that that's so important to our authentic expression. Absolutely. And it's funny you mentioned shame because that, as you started talking, I was like, yeah, I, that is the emotion. That is the exact emotion. And I did um, level nine recently, which is about uh, radical intimacy. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I'm giving too much away if I'm saying that part of radical intimacy is looking deeply into yourself and doing some shame healing. Mm-hmm. And a, a large and important part, I mean, it wasn't large in terms of time, but it was large in terms of impact on me. Part of that uh, workshop was was shame healing, looking at the shame I have about various things. And mm-hmm. I realized I am, I am putting that upon myself. You know, when there's nothing rather I would do than shout it from the fucking root, rooftops, there I am <laughs> going, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm caretaking other people who may not currently be in love. And I was like, well, that's bollocks. I yeah. want to be able to to just luxuriate in this feeling. And I know that new relationship energy is going to go away eventually, right? That Mm -hmm. type of love gets replaced with a deeper, more steady, more, but while you have it, why not? It's a hell of a drug. Why not bask in that drug? It's, it's legal. It's free. It's there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, our culture, I mean, I'm actually curious if you have noticed a difference between the culture you grew up in and and an American culture, but certainly from my experience of the American culture, um, you know, you do, it's not okay to express either extreme, extreme sadness. You know, you were mentioning your friend being in a really dark, heavy place right now. We shelter, we hide that too. Right. Um, so whether you're in deep sadness or grief or whatever it is, or this exuberant joy of a high of being in love, um, it's like tolerated to a certain extent and it's, it's depicted in film and in music, but, um, in daily life. Yeah. There's, I remember when I first started dating Luke, I had this experience of feeling like a lot of my friends were single and those who weren't single had been in relationship for like a long time, like 10 years. And my experience was, it felt taboo to be telling my friends in like everyday conversation, how happy I was like that there, that everything I had to say about my relationship was positive felt awkward. (laughs) And, and, and I brought this up with Luke and he's like, Oh yeah, totally. No, like no one wants to hear when things are going every, you know, going right. It's only when things are really struggling that we feel like we can bond with somebody over our struggle. And I, it just struck me as so sad. It was like, even if we're not in the same place, why wouldn't we want to support and encourage and uplift and even strive towards and be inspired by other people's joy? Yeah. 
But you mentioned music and, and movies and stuff, and I feel like we have so dramatically over-romanticized trauma bonding Yeah, that that feels like it's the only thing that's real and left. I'm like, no, that's 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 not okay. And so you, the the thing you are describing of not feeling like you you can like exuberantly love, you know, we're caretaking other people in the process. And I think, you know, I, I feel like in the context of high, that is actually pretty di- different. I don't feel like I have to caretake, mm-hmm. especially not in the room of love in the, in the workshop room, because you know, I know there's a whole team around there. Mm-hmm. And if I, if somebody says, Hey, hi, do you want to do this exercise with me? And I say, honestly, no. And then I can step away. You know, it's not my job to caretake their, rejection or anything like that mm-hmm. and feeling the freedom to do that goodness that is so weird it's so weird because in every other aspect of life i feel like i don't have the ability to do that or mm-hmm. i felt that that has actually shifted massively for me in the last couple of months and that's been a gift that yeah well and it's boundaries right i mean i think for me that's been again and again i talk about this all the time this was the this was and has been and continues to be the biggest takeaway for me with high is that exact scenario that you just described of leaving behind the cultural script of I have to kind of, um, if I'm going to have a boundary at all, I have to wrap it up in really fuzzy clothing so that it doesn't hurt you. Right. Um, right. And of course, you know, when someone is really strong and clear in their, in their boundaries, it, it actually does come across as clean and kind, I think. Um, have you heard of the concept of boundary bullies before? (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, so this is a new concept to me, actually, Brené Brown, I was telling you about Brené Brown the other day, but, um, Brené Brown talks about boundary bully. And she says, when we're learning, if we're, if we have not learned as children or through adolescence to have really clear, clean boundaries, which most of us do not, um, it's very common that when you start to practice having stronger boundaries and speaking your boundaries, you can come, it can come out in a bullying way. And, um, the example she gave was, you know, she had a boundary around her kid watching a violent movie at a friend's house. And rather than just say, you know, no, thank you. Would it be all right if our kids watched a different movie tonight? She went into this lecture about how violence can hurt kids' brain development. And Mm. she said, you know, when I don't feel confident or clear in my ability to create a boundary for myself, when I feel some shame that I have to set a boundary, I can make the other person wrong. And then I turn into a bully where my boundary becomes an act of aggression rather than an act of self-respect. Um, and I thought that was so poignant because, you know, I definitely can get a little aggressive with my boundaries, but I don't feel totally strong in my boundaries and, and, um, and, or like really, really like the other way, like too soft and apologetic and kind of like trying to hide that I'm even setting a boundary in the first place, you know? Um, I think there's actually a common thread in all these things we've been talking about here. And that, mm-hmm. and it strikes me as a, as a fear to take up space. Yeah. You know, like if I'm, if I'm like in holding a boundary, I am taking up space in choosing not to be exuberantly in love. It's, it's out of fear to not take up space. And I think, I mean, you ask me about cultural differences. Right. I, I keep telling people in, in the UK to just be bold. Like, hey, mm. you don't always take up space, but when you need to, just do it boldly because there's no, there's no reason to apologize. Yeah. And the ways that the, the reason is the 
the way this came up for me was that somebody was like, oh, I'm looking to interview some people about, um, about autism and autism spectrum disorders. And, you know, it, it won't take a minute. You know, I won't take up much of your time. And I was like, you know what? Fuck you. Hmm. Because if you're going to interview somebody about something that is that personal and that, you know, Mm. Don't say you're not going to take up my my time. Take up my time. If I say yes, mm. listen listen to me all the way to the end of the sentence. Mm -hmm. And it was funny. I understand what they were trying to do. They were just trying right. to say, you know, I will I will be respectful of your time. But but my suggestion back to them was like, say that it'll take an hour, and then I can choose whether or not that's too much time or not. Right, right. And it's so funny. And that fear of taking up time or taking up space. You know, so I, I've gotten to a place now that that just backfires because the way you, and the same way you th say it, like, like if you are trying to apologize for holding a boundary, it's like, no, that's not something you apologize for. Mm -hmm. Be bold, take up that space. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there's this idea that if I take up space, I'm taking space from you and, um, you know, we have all kinds of, we have so, so many sayings that kind of support that. Like the idea of somebody coming in and sucking out all the air in the room, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and for me, they're that experience of someone who's taking up space in a way that impacts others negatively. It doesn't actually come from authentic expression in my experience. Typically when I have an experience of someone sucking out all the air in the room or something like that, it actually comes from that person's insecurity and, and, and difficulty, struggle in taking up space from an authentic place. Um, because my experience is, is that when people shine, when they're genuine in what they think, what they're feeling, um, who they are, how they express, it adds to the room. You know, it, it creates more space for others to be themselves. It's, it's actually the opposite of what you would think from physics, right? Like yeah. I, I think it, it adds permission to the space for others to be similarly self-expressed. So yes, I love it. And I love the, the underline that you found between all these themes. I, I totally agree with you. Go ahead. Well, I also think there's a, there's a problem with the premise there, like sucking out all the air of the room or something like that. It assumes it's a zero sum game. Right. You know, if I take up more space, that means that you have less space. Right. But it's only true like in a in a literal calendar sense, mm -hmm. you know, or in this podcast, at the end of this podcast, we'll probably get a report and we'll see who spoke the most. And given how much of a blabbermouth I am today, I suspect that will be me. <laughs> and now I'm feeling a little conscious, right, about taking up space. But it's only mm -hmm. literal space in the podcast. It isn't that I'm taking up space, like the space I am taking up energetically doesn't you know, it doesn't dim your light, Kate. And mm -hmm. I think that is that is a helpful way of looking at that. Yeah, right. Because nothing you can do, Haya, would dim my light. It's my response to you. I dim my own light in response to you. And or I stay shining. You know, even in speaking, if I don't have the room to express exactly what I'm thinking verbally, um, the impact on me and how that impacts my embodiment of what it is I'm thinking or feeling is really up to me. Um, but I think is a challenging thing to realize. We, we, we experience the world as a set of reactions in response to the things around us and particularly people. And so to shift the mindset that, um, you know, others are responsible for my hurt or they're responsible for my feeling small um, and taking full accountability for that, it's a, it's a big shift, but one that's so empowering because we realize, you know, it doesn't matter what you're doing over there. It's, I get to choose to feel shiny and whole. 
Yeah. Well, and you mentioned Brene Brown earlier, and I, I will echo another thing she talks about a lot, which is, <laughs> you know, you can't you can't affect the world around you, but you can, you know, if, you can choose how you respond. Right. And of course, if you have like a trauma response, or if you have something like big that happens in your body, you can't really, you you can't stop yourself from having a trauma response, but you can catch it and then breathe through it or meditate or medicate if you have to. Mm-hmm. You know, there are ways that you take control over that situation, no matter what is happening in the outside world. And I think the US in particular has gotten so good at blaming other people. Mm-hmm. And I see that in, you know, kind of the, the litigious nature of this country, in like people just not owning owning their shit and mm-hmm. that is hard because and i mean I'm, that's totally me as well don't get me wrong um but in spaces where i get to be fully actualized and fully myself i notice that the people around me take responsibility for their emotions in a way that doesn't happen out in the general population mm-hmm. yeah my mind went off in two different directions at once i think that you you know the point about trauma is a really good one. And I think privilege is all on the same page, right? Like, um, some of us are more privileged than others to have this space to take. And so I want to just name that and acknowledge that. Um, and I do think that I have a friend who recently entered a podcast with me. Uh, she's a black woman and the host was a black man, but almost, and, and we were there to talk about inequality in sex communities, in sex positive communities. And um, there was an interaction at the beginning of the podcast that just felt slightly off. It, it, you know, it was nothing hugely dramatic, nothing even really that I think the, the host of the podcast really even registered as problematic, but I noticed it and my friend noticed it. And she modeled such beautiful self-care. She just said, you know what? I actually think I'm, I'm going to bow out. I'm not going to stay in this environment that isn't safe for me. And I just so respected her on so many levels because, you know, here's a situation in which you've agreed, quote unquote, ahead of time to do something, um, you know, and breaking agreements in a, in a way that's self-respecting, I think is a whole nother podcast we could do at some point, because I think it's really challenging for people. I think there's this idea of like, well, no, you've already said yes. So you can't go back on what you agreed to. Um, but she, absolutely read the room, saw that it wasn't safe and made a very quick and decisive decision to keep herself safe. And I just, I just love that. And I think we need more of that in the world where even in places that we are, um, others are holding us small. You know, if, if we're bigger than the box we're being put into, um, ultimately it is our work to grow the muscles that allow us to step out of that box, regardless of who it impacts, you know, and regardless of the pushback on that, which takes bravery. Well, and I think I told you, maybe we've talked about this in a previous podcast, or maybe we just talked about it, the two of us, but I I had an experience at a different high workshop a while back where I found my no in a way that felt really edgy. Mm. And that happened like two or three times in that workshop. But every time I said no, something like infinitely more beautiful happened. Hmm. And I was like, and and I mean, I said no in two situations and the third, like there was an event that happened and it's, this is like the most obscure story ever because I can't really say what happens (laughs) in the workshop. But the third time, so I said no in two, two times where I was really worried about hurting someone. 
by uh-huh. saying no or by finding my boundary. In fact, I said to one person, I said yes first. And then like three minutes later, I was like, actually, mm, really yeah, sorry, but need to no. take that back. Yeah. Well, not just because I, I, it wasn't that I didn't want to be in that situation, but something better came along, mm. right? I, some like another opportunity to do an exercise with somebody that I really wanted to do an exercise with. And I was like, you know what? This opportunity hadn't come up yet and I really want to do it. And I know I said yes to you, but I'm really sorry. I'm going to have to follow my heart on this one and go and do this exercise with somebody else. And I was so scared that they would feel rejected and feel like put aside. And, you know, because I, that's how I would have reacted. Mm. Fast forward slightly, it turns out they had like a 10 times better experience because they found a different person to do it with. (laughs) And the person I said yes to doing the exercise with, I'm still dating now, three months later. Mm. And so this really weird thing happened by, by feeling into something and finding a no and being brave. I mean, to me, that was an act of bravery. Yeah. And that has really done some deep healing for me in 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 how and when I set boundaries. Because it turns out, wait a minute, like I'm setting boundaries for me. It's got nothing to do with anybody else, and I don't have to care pe- caretake people in that moment. Yeah, and you know, okay. So now my mind thinking about, I would go to from the like um, tools of, of self empowerment to the interpersonal, right? Um, because I think we're both. I think we're independent, sovereign beings in relationship right? We, we are social creatures. And so, and I think so much of what we do at high is the balance between cultivating a really healthy relationship with oneself, a really self-honoring, self-knowing, self-revealing relationship with oneself. And, and then also how to translate those skills of self-love into loving others and being in relationship with others. So I'm curious your thoughts on, boundaries and how we, you know, cause I'm, what I'm hearing you say is like, you've cultivated this awesome, exciting muscle of like, I get to say what's really true for me, regardless of the impact over there and trusting that when I honor myself, I'm actually honoring the collective, like good can happen for everyone involved. And I totally agree with that. Um, so then how does one start to move also into a place of accountability and integrity and a place of you can depend on me to be someone in your corner, you know, to be someone in your circle, in your life. Um, I'm curious your thoughts on that. Um, sorry, it feels like there was like five questions in there. <laughs> um, could you, could my, you ask that again? Yeah, of course. My, my main question, sorry, I was exploring your ideas as I was asking the question. The, the question I'm thinking about is how do we hold both the self-evolution towards honoring our own boundaries in every moment with the sometimes competing need to have integrity and commitment to others, right? Um, mm. Yeah, no, it's okay. That makes a lot of sense to me. I, th- I think my response there is, and I actually said this to a friend the other day, is like, look, you get to hold boundaries, you get to be your place in the world, but you do get to be unkind, Mm-hmm. And I feel like there is there is a middle ground there where you're able to have firm boundaries and speak them and 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 all that kind of stuff. But I feel like there is no place for meanness. There's no place for unkindness. And I feel like it's mm-hmm. possible to hold by boundaries in a way, like if that feels safe, right? If you're in an unsafe situation, you know, kick them in the balls and run away. That's perfectly fine. You can be as unkind as you need to. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about 
like ongoing relationships where you have a you have a existing relationship and kindness and and softness for someone and you're having to hold a boundary there are two ways or many ways of doing that but one of them is probably kinder than the other mm-hmm. and leaving space right. for that and leaving space for gentleness and actually leaving space for the other person to have an emotional response to your boundary mm-hmm. is kind mm-hmm. yeah and i think i think we can do both and i think you know it is also a it also a learning curve right in the beginning it's scary to, to speak any boundary and so it doesn't really matter how it comes out of your mouth but eventually as you get more comfortable with it. I, I'm thinking to anything you ever learn, right? If you start learning a new skill, you do it crudely. Mm. You know, it, it becomes very difficult because you haven't learned the finesse of it yet. Like the first mm-hmm. time you bake a cake, it's not going to be pretty. It's probably not going to taste good. The mm-hmm. hundredth time you build a cake, it's going to be beautiful. Maybe. <laughs> I still have made a beautiful cake in my life. Ideally. <laughs> but, you know, you get finesse. And so over time... Taste- better yeah exactly yeah. over time that finesse <laughs> i think is kindness because you're able to be more nuanced in how you hold boundaries yeah and i'll add that i t- i agree and i love that i think um you get to be strong in your boundaries but you don't get to be unkind i think that's right on um and i might add to that that as we grow our awareness and comfort with our boundaries we also become more at choice because i think that when we're unconscious about our boundaries, we either step over them or we assert them in ways that shut out possibilities for collaboration. Yeah. And so as we raise awareness of what we really need and we become comfortable with that, we let go of shame around that. Um, it, it, oper- it opens up doors for genuine collaboration and, and you still may be a no, right. Or you still may be, I need this. Um, I'm thinking of a time recently that, cause I've been working on slowing down when there's an opportunity. My edge is around like kind of savior stuff. Like if somebody needs me, there's this feeling of like, they need me. I have to show up. Um, and oftentimes I'll completely overexert myself or exhaust myself or whatever in this, in this, pursuit of service. And so I've been trying to, before stepping up to the plate, so to speak, slowing down and really checking in, like, would this really serve me or would it exhaust me or what's going on? Um, but most recently I had this experience where a family member really did need some help and I tuned into myself and the answer was, I don't really want to go. I'm, it would be inconvenient for me to get on a plane and fly to Oakland this week. Um, there's a lot going on in my life, you know, it just, it's expensive, blah, blah, blah. But because I took the time to slow down and really check in with myself and, and see that the most comforting, like the most comfortable self honoring choice would have been to be a no. But I also then was able to give myself the room to, make a choice other than what was most comfortable for me. I'm, I'm still kind of like figuring out how to articulate this, but basically my, my no, my hard no would have been the most self-honoring, but ultimately I recognized that the need in the relationship was big enough that I decided to step over my own boundary, but I did it consciously. Mm. Whereas in the past I would have just gotten on the plane and kind of resented that I was there. Does that make sense? Yeah. And 
because I slowed down and weighed it out and felt it out and still made the choice to show up, it came from a more genuine giving place. Um, and I was able to make it work. I did have enough resources to make that work. And it was a little bit of a stretch, but it wasn't so much of a stretch that I was completely underwater myself. And I knew it wouldn't be. And so, yeah. but I made it from a place of integrity with myself, which is such a big shift. Yeah. Well, and the beautiful thing thing there is that, you know, I don't know how that played out, but if I were to take a, an educated guess, I imagine you told them that this was a stretch for you. Mm. And so they had informed consent around you being slightly lower energy yeah. or slightly under-resourced. And so they knew that, you know, yes, they needed to lean on you, but they couldn't lean on you fully. Mm-hmm. And that way they're, they have some agency around that too. Right. How close am I? You're very close, very close. And another layer was because I became consciously aware that it was a little stretch for myself, I then spent time figuring out, okay, what would work for me? You know, just completely showing up with all 10 flags flying and give you myself entirely wasn't going to work for me, but what could work for me? So then it went into that collaborative space, right? Of like, okay, I'm willing to show up for four days and do these three things for you rather than I'm just going to show up and do whatever it is that you might need in the moment. Um, So it just became a much more conscious process. And I think everyone was benefited from my introspection, but also my clearer and more accurate boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, that is so beautiful. I um I had a very similar situation recently where a very, very close friend of mine like was mid panic attack mm. and really needed me. And I was like, look, I'm so fucking sorry, but I am so under resourced right now that yeah. if I pick up the phone, I am going to be in deep trigger myself and that's not gonna help anyone. No. And of course it was so hard for her to hear that no. And we're actually still doing some repair around that. Okay. But I was also like, look, I, I literally cannot. There isn't like like when you were just uh, the, the thing you just described, like I imagine like the visual that popped into my head was you're about to go on a road trip. Right. So you know your tank is almost empty and you know you might get there or you might not, but you're willing to take <laughs> right. the risk. Right. right. My tank was empty. I was running on fumes and I was like, you know what? It's empty. I, I don't even know if my car starts right now. Mm-hmm. So it's not kind on you to say yes to this request. And it definitely mm-hmm. isn't kind to myself. Mm-hmm. But Jesus, was it hard. Because, of course, mm-hmm. I made her panic attack worse in that moment. Mm. But I was also like, look, I, I'm so sorry. I can't. I literally cannot be there for you right now. And that was so hard. Yeah, really hard. Because, and and it, And I love that you said we're still in repair because that happens too. Sometimes we set boundaries and we disappoint people and it doesn't have to mean the end of the relationship. In fact, it can be an opportunity for growth and self, you know, love and honesty and all these things that actually can be bonding. Um, yeah. But I think that you have to be willing to show up in that, right? Like, and that goes back to the boundary bully is like, we have to be willing to hear that our boundaries have an impact on other people. doesn't mean that we have to be um, gaslighted for our boundaries or abused for our boundaries. You know, I think it's okay to feel right in our boundaries. Um, But sometimes it does take a little bit of repair when, you know, someone else really needed something and we can't be there for that. Yeah. Well, and, you know, when you're saying about the the boundary police, I just have such compassion for that because 
you know, in that moment, I'm imagining them being in a state of activation and, right. you know, they're clearly working through something and giving people enough space to feel safe, to, to vent and to say all those things about, well, we can't put these kind of movies in front of kids, you know, let them, let them rage for a bit. And then very gently right. ask like, Hey, it seems like this is something that is, that runs deeper. You know, yeah. it feels like the, 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 I understand your reaction, but it feels like the volume, like the amplitude on this feels higher than I might've expected. Is there something going on here for you? And I have said that exact thing to people and it's so scary, but sometimes they take a breath and go, oh yeah, that was out of proportion. What is going on here? Mm. And it's just so beautiful to be able to have a real conversation about that. So beautiful and so direct, um, which is what I love about that. It gives permission for people to, to get below the, you know, the armor. And, you know, that's why I, I kind of love the affectionate term bully, because for me, a bully is someone who's hurting. You know, a bully is someone who um, is trying to get their own needs met in a destructive way. And so, yeah, when we can shift into a place of compassion for the bully and, and look beneath the armor, you know, usually there's a need that's going unmet. And I think that can be the case for, for asserting your boundaries. And it might be a need, a need, it might be a painful belief, like I'm not worth my boundary, one thing I hear a lot in talking to couples is that it's not uncommon for us to feel afraid that if we assert a boundary, you may not love me enough to respect that boundary. Mm. You may leave me. You may say, well, fine, she's not worth my effort if she's going to say no to me in this case. And so, you know, a boundary bully might be coming forward aggressively with their boundary in fear of losing you. Yeah. And here you're talking about... Um... Attachment styles, right? That's yeah. let's textbook anxious attachment. Yes. Or if right. they push you away, textbook avoidant. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah, avoidant. And when you start seeing that in people, it's it's everywhere, right? And I I have to also admit that I am very close to being outside of my envelope of tolerance right now because I have a lot of trauma around bullying Mm. and I'm finding it extremely hard to have compassion for bullies. Mm. And the thing is the the worst bully I had was routinely beaten by his mother. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And I completely understand that. And I want to be open to that. And I want to feel, I want to feel compassionate. I feel sorry for the guy. I really did. We oscillated between being best friends and mortal enemies. Mm. And part of me is like, fuck you. You don't get to treat me like that. And -hmm. I think I didn't have the language. I mean, if something like that were to come up for me again now, I think I would have had the language. I would have been able to in the moment say, hey, I understand where you're coming from. It feels like your response here isn't appropriate. Can we talk about that? Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm feeling it, man. I'm feeling it in my body. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm and it is hard and and I'm so grateful that you brought in the the really real personal experience with bullies because um you know, it's the same thing for sexual assault of survivors or, you know, um people who are abused in their families. I think that yeah. that the the path to healing as a survivor of those things is a fluctuation between getting in touch with the no fuck you, which we weren't able to say in the moment of being um, traumatized, right? And that's healthy and needed. 
and then finding the place to compassion and finding the place Mm -hmm. I just want to honor and, and hear you in the pain of that and recognize that, yeah, the pain is still really alive. And maybe it doesn't have to be you who gets into touch with compassion for that bully. You know what I mean? Like that's a good observation. It can be others and it can be your compassion and awareness for bullies at, in the abstract, but I'm not even necessarily suggesting that you go to the compassion for this bully because this bully hurt you. And that's, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And actually it has, so yes, they hurt me. And for the longest time I was saying to anybody who would listen, I was like, look, I was bullied relentlessly, but you know, I'm stronger for it and I'm kind of grateful for it. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And now as I hear those words come out of my own mouth, I'm like, Oh, hiya. You Mm. poor thing. I have a bunch of self-compassion around that, but it's because I realized not that long ago that no, this is super raw and real still. Mm. And, and on the other hand, I have kind of vowed to live my life as brightly as I can as a, as a, as a, a way to prove the bullies wrong, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that is also really present for me. So it's a really complex set of emotions that I really struggle with because, uh, yeah, it's hard. And well, and that's that resilience. And I think the resilience is about you. You know, like I think there's a way in which it's important to be able to kind of extricate yourself and who you are from the experience itself, but then it's complex because the experience itself made you who you are, right? So it's this like impossible mixed up bag of feelings of like, I have to be my own person. You no longer have power over me. And yet your presence in my life contributed to so much of who I am, both the challenges and the strengths. Um, It's both and. Kate, I think when we plan this, we're going to have a nice, lighthearted conversation about something or other. But <laughs> I don't, I don't think that's what it was. Ha- <laughs> <Same>. <laughs> I think we're not cut from that cloth, are we? No. Um, I think we are going to talk about trust, which is interesting because I don't think we've used the word trust at all this podcast. But I trust you as a result of talking about all of this with you and. I think it's all, it actually is layered in here beautifully. Trust is about honoring the self and other, right? Yes. And there's something interesting, right? We've both talked about a couple of things. So you know my story much deeper than this uh, podcast would indicate. And I know your story much deeper than this podcast would indicate. But Mm -hmm. there is this level of trust we have for each other as co-hosts and as co-high participants and as friends Mm -hmm. but we're also you know we're talking into microphones this is going to go out in the internet and so we're showing Mm -hmm. a huge amount of trust for whoever listens to this Mm -hmm. to not you know i've shown my soft belly and i trust Mm -hmm. people to not take that and stab me Mm -hmm. and you know whenever i do these podcasts i you know i want to be fully open i want to be like bring it And I'm also sensing a small part of me is like, this is not the room of love. This is not the workshop room. I can't be as open and as vulnerable on the podcast as I can in the workshop room. Mm -hmm. But I am just reflecting on that now where I feel so safe in this community in general 
that that becomes like training wheels for being out in in, in the in the default world, where mm-hmm. I'm also more vulnerable and real as a result. I don't know where I was going with this, but I, I'm just very grateful for us being able to have these conversations. Yeah. Well, and it's funny we've been talking about Brené Brown so much because I think she was the first person that said something like vulnerability is not sharing all of your heart and your soul to anyone. It's taking the time to build trust so that you can be vulnerable with the right people. Mm-hmm. And I'll just add to that though, that I do think that as you do more of your own work as a human being and you do grow in your self comfort and the boundaries of yourself, like I think there's also an autonomous level of comfort with vulnerability. You know what I mean? Like, and you're demonstrating that by being willing to open your heart and share who you are on this podcast. And and me too, we're saying we have enough comfort with ourselves that we trust the world to respond well to us. And if they don't, we know we'll be okay. You know? And, but I think that discernment of like, you know, there are probably things on any podcast that we may not go into, um, and that's okay because, because it's discernment. It's that healthy kind of like line in the sand of who, who are you that it is I'm sharing with and do we have mutual trust? And if we do, then I can share even more deeply with you. And that builds trust even further, you know, and oftentimes it's a mutual exchange. Um, and a podcast is kind of unique in that it's oftentimes a one way exchange. Um, but I don't know about you, but I feel so filled up when I get vulnerable on the podcast and held, I feel held by you and our, and our guests. And I think that there's a certain kind of bravery to being vulnerable on a podcast that actually is really rewarding. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I find it really healing, right? I've said stuff on this podcast that I've said to very few people in the world, including my therapist. Um, and I'm like, yeah, this is, it's a different container. It's a different space. And you know, if somebody were to um, use whatever's in this podcast to try and take me down, I know I have a whole community around me, right? Yeah. I have you, I have the rest of the high community, I have my close friends, you know, my paranoia is showing a little bit here, but. <laughs> well, um, I think that, I'm curious if this is true for you. This is certainly true for me. I'm curious if this rings true for you. I think that vulnerability on this podcast, there's a purpose to it which is that we're attempting to create a world in which people can be safe in their vulnerability through demonstration, through modeling. And we hope that our listeners take cues from these conversations that we have over the course of the season and bring them into their lives and have similarly vulnerable, raw conversations with the people that they love. Um, and only yeah. through that can we really make change, right? So for me, that purpose outweighs the personal risk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <sighs> ah, my friend. Hey, it is always so wonderful to talk to you. What an amazing season this has been. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to season four with you. Yeah. We've got some plans in the pipeline. We're going to take a little break until the new year, and then we're back in the saddle. Yeah, back in the saddle big time. I think we've got some cool guests lined up. Another mm-hmm. whole range of topics we haven't talked on, touched on before. And also, I want to just like invite 
while we're while we're chatting here, just invite ideas. Some of our best ideas for the podcast have come from our listeners. Um, so if you have a topic or a person in mind who you think talks really well about something specific that you enjoy listening to, um, let us know. Yeah. Kate, thank you for a beautiful conversation and a wonderful season. Um, have a beautiful holidays and new year. Catch you on the flip side. Catch you on the flip side. Are you going to make me a holiday cake? Oh, goodness. You don't want that, but I might make you a postcard. <laughs> Postcard's good too. I want to see your cake making skills. Oh gosh, you really don't. You really don't. But I, I appreciate the encouragement. <laughs> we all just got to keep baking, huh? Uh, yep. All right, my yep. friend. Take care. Cheers. Thank you for tuning in to the Human Awareness Podcast. For more information about the Human Awareness Institute or our workshops, please visit our website at hi.org. That is hi.org. As always, it was a pleasure to have you with us. See you soon. soon.